0: Great. Thanks, uh, Andrew and Graham, very much. We're continuing our journey, transforming uh, truth. And uh, we've got a couple of treats coming up during May. And uh, we'll finish transforming truth off during May. We've got two more to go after this morning. We're going to think about the long-awaited promise, not yet fulfilled, of the second coming. And we're going to think about heaven because I'm going there. Coming. And I will see what that's like and uh, all about. Hope it won't disappoint. There's good reason uh, to think that it won't. And uh, we'll get to that. And then at the beginning of June, we're going to start a uh, new series in uh, a New Testament book that we'll go through uh, expositionally, Uh, uh, take us into the summer and beyond. You excited? Well, you should be, absolutely. So, transforming truth journey, uh, remember, wind back a few months, we're talking about creation, we're talking about the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the way we're all in relationships, then we went through the, the miracle of the Old Testament, God speaks, the miracle of the Old Testament, God is involved providence. The miracle of the Old Testament is that it was preparing for a reality that would not only uh, remind us that God speaks and that he's involved, but that he's come in Jesus uh, among us. And then we went through uh, the the cross, the resurrection last Sunday. You can still be excited about the resurrection even though it's not Easter Sunday. Resurrection last Sunday. Uh, And now we're into what happens as a result of that. So what What was the next big move of God? Or, to put it a different way, whose is the next big move? God's done all this, and then suddenly he says, now it's your turn. As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. And sometimes we think that God's, oh, get off my case. He's always asking me to do stuff. He's done all this stuff. And now he says, as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. And there are many different ways that we can think about what it means to be sent into God's world in all its complexity and pain and sadness and change and confusion, and we might say chaos, that's been reflected in uh, leading millennials, been reflected in our praying for tragedies around the world, reflected in our, uh, our reading of this radical agenda from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is coming was described as light coming into the darkness. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's how Jesus came. That was the posture that he would be light coming into the darkness of the world. For God so loved the World, Greek word cosmos, emphasizing the broken, damaged, messed up world. God so loved the broken, damaged, messed up world, the world in darkness, that he came as the true light that would be light to everyone. As the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you. So it's no surprise that Jesus would say of us, your turn, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. That's it. That's our job in this next season of the history of the world. To be lights to the world. You are the light of the world. A long time ago now, uh, Phil Barsden and I went to uh, Happy Homes in Kenya... The uh, orphanage and children's education program, uh, the east side of Kenya, not far from uh, Lake Victoria, just outside Kasumu, that we still support our uh, offerings over Christmas, it was part of that uh, ongoing support for them. John Lewis and uh, William Miller and others are, are trustees of, uh, of, that, uh, of that organization still. We lived while well, we were there because the orphans lived in this orphanage that was uh, a long way from any road that, or anything that you could even call a road uh, in the middle of nowhere. So no electricity, no running water, and none of the things that we might normally imagine. So at night time, it's what? Very dark. And you realize what light pollution there is around us. No, I mean it's like proper dark. And at the rabbit warren of a set of buildings that it was then, they're in different buildings now, at one end, they would light a lamp, and then down through these corridors into a room. At the other end, they would light another lamp. Where did people gather? Around the lights. Every evening, people gathered around the light. There is a, a natural something about human beings, but in the darkness, we are drawn to the light. You are the light of the world. If you're lost in the country and you see a light in the distance, you will do what? You will head towards it. When you're in a tunnel, you get hope from the fact that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, which we use as a metaphor for all kind of things. Like a moth drawn to a flame and a plant in your front room, stretching towards the window, we gravitate towards the light. I believe with all of my heart, when we truly become the emblazoned light that Jesus has for us, people will be drawn to the light. Now, there is a flip side, of course. It says that some people hated the light because their deeds were evil. There will always be people that would be repelled. But when we are the light, that God has for us to be. And the most exciting thing about the journey that we're on is that light that we are is getting brighter. You with me? We're more bright than we perhaps were. Individually, together, corporately, in all our expressions. As the light grows, people are drawn to the light because that's what happens. When the true light shines, people will gather to it, embrace it, and gladly be warmed by its Glow. So Jesus said, in the same way, let your light do what? Shine before others that they may see your good deeds and tell you what a good job you're doing? No. When they're drawn to the light, it releases praise. Imagine a, a, the town of Ipswich full of praise and glory to Father God. Because they've seen the light that the church is. That's something worth living for, isn't it? People praising. Uh, and when we think about them being drawn to the light, because we think about it in our context, we think that this is the light, this moment when we're gathering uh, to celebrate. But of course, they didn't have organized churches in those days. They were out in their communities, in their families, living for Jesus. When when people are drawn to the light of our lives, they will see and praise our Father in heaven if we're going to be the light then we need to firstly love we firstly need to love we all long to be loved there is no one in this room who is indifferent about whether they're loved no one it is at the root of who we are as relational human Beings And in a world where there is more breakup, more relational dysfunction, and an epidemic of loneliness, it's no wonder society is struggling to function. People come and share their hurts, their pains, their sadnesses. And and whenever we do that, whenever we unburden ourselves to somebody... Beneath it all is that same reality. Am I loved? Do I really matter? Because we have this search for significance, we were made for relationship. And it's out of that relationship with God and each other that we discover the significance for which we were made. Um, uh, The the actor, uh, Julia Roberts, "I, I felt incredible loneliness in my life. I've known great despair. And what is the point of having a great job or something spectacular if you have no one to share it with? Unless you have someone, it's pointless. It's vapor. And I think perhaps it's worse This sense of loneliness and isolation is worse for successful people because we all, to a certain extent, buy in to our culture, to the natural illusion that if I'm successful, I will feel more significant in myself. And if we're still thinking, well, I'm still working towards becoming successful, whatever successful might be, then we live with the hope that when I finally become successful, then I will feel significant. Then I will feel that I am the person that God's made me to be. Imagine the illusion, the despair, to become as successful as you thought you could, and to discover you still don't feel very significant. And there's despair right there, isn't there? That's why the celebrity celebrity culture is so despairing. That's why people that that, that seem to have risen to great heights often come down with such a great crash because we think that somehow that will do what it cannot do. And we discover that the ladder is leading against the wrong wall. It's love that makes me significant. It's love that enables me to discover that I'm somebody. And so when we, the church imbued with the love of God, share that love around, we are offering a grace that is greater and deeper and more life-changing than anything else that we can offer. Where are people going to find that level of love if they don't find it from people that are full of the love of Jesus? That level of care Where are people going to find those who will weep with those who are weeping and laugh with those who are laughing and love people back to life? We are those that have the absolute privilege of being able to love people back to life. Doesn't sound too tough, does it? To pour ourselves into people and to love them back to life because God has loved me back to life. I, I could have gone home at about, ooh, about 9.30 this morning, kind of done, full up. We had cracking communication, quarter past nine. First task, go around the room. You've got 20 seconds to say why you love Jesus. It's just amazing what Jesus does, isn't it? And, you know, maybe a dozen of us, I don't know how many were there, a dozen of us just shared what, 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 what that means to us. And suddenly the room's alive with the, the love of God and all that he does in our lives. It's just, a, it's just um, uh, amazing. The church is that light. Because of our love, but it also means, I, that we need to be involved. Because you're not just the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. And whatever else you need to do with salt, salt needs to get involved to be of any use, doesn't it? Salt in the salt shaker is of no value. I need some salt in this, we say. Because unless it's in there, it's it's doing no good. It is of no value, and we've bred a super individualistic society, and we've we've become um, uh, naturally part of that individualism, and there is so much separateness everywhere. And we find ourselves living in streets when we don't always know the people around us because we've taught to focus on ourselves and our own little perhaps nuclear family. And even in our marriages, because we we've we, we've just breathed in the air of our culture that it's all about me and what I want and, and my rights. There there becomes separateness even in our homes. In uh, that film, Mr. and Mrs. Smith was it uh, Angelina Jolie as Jane, and they're sitting in this um kind of marriage counselling thing, and and one of them says something like, there's this huge space between us, and it keeps filling up with everything we don't say to each other. And that's so true in our homes, in our workplaces, in our networks, in our neighbourhoods. And so the church, because of all this individualism, the church that used to be at the centre of society, used to be at the center of the village. As society has changed, we found ourselves moving further and further away from society's center. And because of that separateness, it can be so easy for us to focus on just us and separate ourselves from the world outside, so then we have kind of discussions inside because we we always find something to do, do, you know, and we discuss whether whether young George is allowed in church with hair like that. No one minds Mrs. Jones with her blue rinse; that's fine, but George can't wear his hair like that. And we we lose the plot a little bit because we get imbued with this sense of of separateness. And I'm still struck by something that fueled uh, our early thoughts around building kind of missional communities and communities uh, generally. We used to send out several thousand leaflets three times a year as a church all around the streets here, inviting them to Christmas, Easter, and harvest. We thought they were good things to invite people to. So we did. And we put a lot of effort in inviting. And to my knowledge, no one came. The only response I ever got from any of those leaflets was a, was a really angry one man, young man one Sunday evening. And it was one of the few times as a minister I thought I was going to get physically hurt. So we really, really hacked him off, so, which wasn't quite our idea. Um, then, when we celebrated our 150th year as a church... We decided that we'd just throw the doors open for a party. And we invited people to come to a party. And shed loads of people came to a party. Somehow we'd made a connection. Somehow we'd bridged the separation that had created between us and them. And the place was full. And that's what we've begun to understand, that we need to get involved and make the connections. That's what Tiddlywinks is doing week on week with parents and toddlers. It's what a a new song community choir was doing when they met in the park a couple of weeks ago. It's what the hub are doing this morning when they're out litter picking and praying around the area. And in multiple different ways, we're discovering it's time to reconnect, to get involved wherever God has placed us. So what about the person? who is last to leave the office and first there in the morning because they don't want to be at home? What about the older person who's lost their lifelong partner And sees no future for themselves. What about the mum who's hanging on with their two kids. And it's 2.30 in the afternoon. And she hasn't had an adult conversation all day. Or perhaps even the day before. The stressed, the lonely, the bereaved, the anxious, the marginalized. We have to find ways to make connections. And when we create as a church a little community of people. We open up the possibilities of connections. Are you with me? About getting involved. Neither do people light a lamp. And put it under a bowl. We have a really great light in here, but it's under a bowl while it's in here, isn't it? Uh, A few years ago, in fact, quite a few years ago, we had a car that was new to us. And what I've discovered is that in more modern cars, they don't think we're clever enough to know when we need the headlights on. They've decided that somehow modern man and woman cannot work out. It's dark outside, I'll put my lights on. So they come on automatically. At least, that's the theory, isn't it? So this was a, we'd only had this car a couple of months, and we were in the south of France for, the, uh, for our holiday, and I couldn't understand why the headlights were on all of the time. And, and, and it wasn't one of these super modern cars where the lights are now on all the time because they can't even trust the computer to turn it on when it's dark, so we'll keep them all on all of the time just in case. So um, it was definitely on automatic, but they were just on all the time. It's like 40 degrees outside, blazing sunshine, and our headlights are on. What on earth is going on? And then I struggled with this for a few days and I talked to the rest of the people in the car who were totally uninterested in my little musings about the headlights. Just shut up and get on with it. It's fine, they're on, aren't they? What more do you want? Well, I want to know why they're on and I want to know whether they're ever going to go off. And they're just on and there we go. Don't have any perfectionist tendencies. At all. <laughs> and then one day, I lifted my hat off the dashboard And I put it on my head, and the lights went out, yes, I'd sussed it, the lights, the sensor was under a bushel, and it didn't matter how bright the light was outside, if it can't get to where it's supposed to shine, it's utterly pointless. And it doesn't matter how bright our light is. Oh, I want the light to be bright in here, don't you? Don't you want it to be so bright that we confess our sins and we get healed and we get transformed and we get fired up and we get sent out? I want the light. But unless it shines where it needs to shine, the light does no job. And there are connections to be made with our light all over the place. I dropped Evan somewhere on Friday. I was going to do some shopping. And Kerry sent me a list. I had a list and a window of time. The list was so complicated, I felt like I was in a, a, you know, a TV game show on a Saturday night. Nigella seats. I still don't know this one. Pinto or Pinto beans? Who's had those this week? We have. But I don't know what we've had it in. But we've had it. So so I, uh, we, we eat like kings and queens all of the time at home. So it's fantastic. But sometimes that means it's a challenge uh, when we're going shopping. I know where the pizzas are, frozen or fresh, choice. But some of these other things are super good. So by the time I got to the checkout, I was already a bit late for picking Evan up. So I'm getting a bit kind of you know, two and eight now, a bit kind of anxious about the whole whole thing and I'm wanting him to hurry up and the bloke's there just whistling away like he's got all the time in the world and he says, what have you done today? I don't want to speak to anybody. I mean, I don't need encouragement not to speak to people. You understand that? You know, I'm on a mission. I'm just getting out of here and getting the shopping and going, you know. What have you done? Oh, It's one of these. What have you done today? I don't know. I've had a day off. Oh, what do you normally do? And in that moment, I sensed the spirit, which as I don't always do. Say, Simon, just shut up and slow down. And he said to me in that moment, he said, so I said, oh, I, I, I lead a church. He said, you're a vicar type? I said, yeah. He said, oh, what's the best thing about that job? Well, what an amazing question. So, so in like 10 seconds, I've gone from I just want to get out of here to, oh, well, okay, something's going on in this moment. You know, do you do weddings? I go, yeah, I do weddings. I do funerals. He didn't laugh at that. I thought that was funny, but he didn't think that was funny. Weddings, funerals, and stuff. Uh, and then he says, What's the best thing? And I said, do You know, honestly, the best thing, the best thing is seeing God transform people's lives. And he went wide eyed like this. What, really? What, really? Do you see that? I said, Look, mate, I don't see it anything like as often as, I, as I'd like to, but I see God change people's lives, especially where they're hurting and in pain. Do you know? He's like, Wow. And then he said, Love it. Then he said, have you heard of that story when Jesus turned water into wine? And I went, "Mm." oh, yeah, 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 I've heard that one. He said, wouldn't that have been amazing? I said, you know, sometimes we see Jesus doing incredible things like that. It's amazing. Uh, and we just rolled on a little bit. He was off to see Avengers, you know, whatever that new film is, thing, Endgame thingy, whatever, chatted about the fact that Kerry and Joel had gone to see that the day before and stuff. And I just wrote a couple of contact things for him on the back of the receipt and gave it to him and, and walked off. And it must have taken, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes. There's it it nothing. But actually, there's a connectedness in those moments, isn't there? And I can miss those all the time. I say that because there's 99 that I miss but an encouragement for us. Just Lord, I, fill me with this love. I want to be a light. And if I'm going to be a light, I've got to shine in the right place. It's no good telling that story in here, really. It's, the, it's out there we need to tell about the love of Jesus. Okay, let's jump in right to the end. Uh, T for truth. We've got to tell the truth. Do your best to present yourself as a god to God as one approved who handles the word of truth. There's truth to tell, isn't there? That God loves everyone and has a plan for their lives what a great truth there's a truth to tell that if they ignore God they are lost and there's no hope but they can find him and that God is so anxious for them to find him that he sent his one and only son to die for them and rise again that death may no longer defeat them It's truth to tell that Jesus is the only person who has come from God and therefore the only person that can get us back to God. The only one who's died and conquered death. The only one we can trust with our lives through life and death. Every time the church, you and I, stop telling the truth, every time the light goes out. Every time we stop telling the truth, the light goes out. Act. And at the beginning of the last century, we saw a frightening example of the church stopping to no longer tell the truth. I mean, in general terms. Into the end of the 18th century, we'd seen a massive move of God, all kinds of revivals with Wesley and all the rest. And then it all seemed to go terribly wrong. You've got Wilberforce, Shaftesbury. All of those great moves of God. And then, and then it, and this is what happened. The culture outside was more and more what we would now describe as modernity a belief that technology and progress and rational thinking, if only we can think our way right, will cure the ills of uh, humanity. So, in order to appeal to rational mankind, in order to appeal to a society that was increasingly distrustful of anything that would appear miraculous, theologians with tragic consequence began redefining the faith that you and I have believed in so we make the gospel more palatable get rid of the miracles because that's a bit awkward and the virgin birth is awkward the resurrection is super awkward so it's just a story and a metaphor about something and in the end all you can trust is the maps in the back and you don't even have those on you version do you i keep thinking i'm going to write to you version say where are the maps because i can't find them and they tampered with it and what happened the church lost its power And we went through some very dark days. And I think this is just my theory of made up popular historian nothingness. You know, I'm just my observation is this if it wasn't for the two world wars, which actually caused us to hold on to traditional values more than we might have done and actually brought us together as a society, in a way, a common enemy, whatever that enemy or challenge is, without those things, I think the decline of the church and the secularization of our society would have gone even quicker through the last century. And we are still in recovery. A church that stood for nothing began to fall for everything. You see, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the truth, the gospel, it's the power. Of God for salvation, for rescue. It's the power of God. It's the resurrection power of God. If you mess with this gospel, the church loses its power. And that's what happened to disastrous consequences, I think. Let's skip to the final one H. It's not a great word, holy, is it? I like happy, don't you, rather than holy. <laughs> and somehow the, the word has got messed up in English or in our, it's not necessarily a language issue, perhaps it's a, it's a cultural issue. You see, holiness is becoming like Jesus. I and mean, that sounds better, doesn't it? Do you want to become like Jesus? Yes! Do you want to be holy? No. But, but, but it is the same thing. When we become holy, when we become right, set apart, who we were made to be, then we become like Jesus. And Jesus talked a lot about joy, didn't he? He said, my joy will be in you and that joy will overflow. Holiness equals joy. You don't see that very often. But that's what we need to reclaim and to, and to recover. And uh, uh, imagine that sense of, of, of us being so like Jesus, holy, set apart, rejecting everything that is not of him or about him, that I might be truly like him. Because that's the journey. We're being made into his likeness from, ever, from one degree of what? Glory to another one. I like that. It's much better than saying, well, you've got to be holy, everybody. But you do, because without holiness, how many people will see the Lord? (gasps) Seen that? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. A church that's set apart and totally involved. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? At the end, he said, look, when he was praying and he's working it all out, handing over to the disciples, I'm not taking them out of the world. I don't want them to be of this world anymore, but I want them to be right in it. And that's the challenge for us. To be the glorious light of Jesus right in the midst of it. And then, what do you get if that happens? You get a whole load of stuff. You get this one here somewhere, if I can find it. Not that one. That one. You get growth. You get growth. Go and make disciples of all nations. You get growth. You see, people say to me, uh, God's not into numbers. He absolutely is into numbers. He counts people because every person counts. He, he is a, he's absolutely into numbers. Go and make disciples of all peoples. All people groups. Go and make disciples of older people who are shut in their homes. Go and make disciples of younger people who are locked into their computer games. There's lots of similarities between those two, Uh, 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 isn't there, for different reasons. Go and make disciples of people who are stressed out at work. Go and make disciples of mums who are struggling with their kids and fathers who are struggling with their kids. Go and make disciples of teenagers who are trying to work out where to go in life. Everybody counts. And it's not just quantity, it's also quality Everybody counts. And teach them to obey just a little bit. No. Let's go for quality for all of these people. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And do you know what? We need the Holy Spirit for all of this, don't we? Which is why the next work of God that inaugurates this season of our responsibility was that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. That's the calling on our lives. Just be light where you are and the rest will look after itself. Let's be quiet.
1: So in a minute we're going to uh, sing a worship song in which we say to God, you spoke in the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And yet we've just heard that as Jesus said that the Father has sent me, so I now send you. And so it's also about us now, being copies of Jesus to speak in the dark and flesh out the wonder of light. Some of you will go for a haircut this week. What are you going to say and how are you going to be and how is your attitude going to be towards the hairdresser? Some of you will sit on a bus this week or on a train. But we don't speak to the person next to us, do we? Or do we? Wonderful, the guy in the supermarket asking questions. To ask questions is incredibly disarming um, and a beautiful thing to do. And let those of us who want to flesh out the wonder of light learn the art of asking questions. Will you ask a question of someone this week? Just by taking an interest in them, slowing down, and it only takes a couple of seconds to think what's what's happening in their life, what are they excited about, what, what's next, what's happening. There's, there's a thousand questions which draws out so much. Probably the two moments that I've enjoyed most this week are being asked to help very vulnerable people and the sadness was that both of them at the end said thank you so much I'm in your debt or that didn't do you much good did it whereas actually they were probably the best moments of my week and I'm not sure whether they would ever really understand that Um, but it's absolutely true So thank you, Simon. Thank you very, very much. Um, Let's be light uh, in the places that we are and that we we naturally find ourselves in this week. Will you you do that? Mm. Will I do that? Yes, Simon, I will. Let's worship God.